QAnon protests in Melbourne, Morrison's 2022 election, a rerun of 2004, and the good news is about solar caravans. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and joining me from live inside the shed is the great, the glorious, the best-selling author of the new book QAnon and On... A short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults, that that QAnon and On. Van Batum. Hello. I'm a best-selling author. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Thank you to everyone who has bought my book. It's only been out for a day. It's been out today. And already it's a bestseller on Amazon. And I'm like, what? What's going on? And yeah, there have been a, a run on the copies and people buying them and sending me photos. And we had, if Ben and I sound a little scratchy, we had the book launch last night. The book was launched by Bill Shorten MP, the member from Maribyrnong. Uh, at Trades Hall and just a huge thank you to everyone who came and Trades Hall for putting on the event. Yeah. Look, pizza, beer and fighting fascism. It was like my kind of evening. Yeah, Luke Hillicurry did a great job emceeing and trying to, you know, uh, identify and acknowledge all of the various title holders uh, in the crowd. I think I think he almost got everyone you know, inside the first ten minutes, but uh, it was a it was a great event. It was a great event. <laughs> it was amazing. It uh, was it was really one of the best nights of my life, and um, the support that I've had writing this book has been extraordinary. Well, it's an extraordinary Especially book. From you. Wow. You're the best. Yeah. Like you are actually the best person I know. Well, that's good because you're the best person I know. Hey, so we that works like, out. Have a relationship and start a like socialist podcast or something. <laughs> Well, yeah, turns out we're most of the way down that track. <laughs> so today there is a lot for us to talk about. Oh, yeah. A lot for us to talk about. And, you know, it's it's interesting that your book has come out uh, this week because, of course, we've seen in Melbourne uh, the protests outside the Parliament House. Uh, I talked about it a little bit on the weekend wrap because they've been going now for five days, something like that. Uh, and Craig Kelly addressed the crowd on Saturday. But of course. And uh, since the weekend wrap, we've obviously seen some really disturbing images where the gallows that were marched through the streets on the weekend have now been used to hang um, effigies. Somebody, there was like a blow up version of Dan Andrews. Then there was like a crucifixion that was supposed to be Dan Andrews. A crucifixion. Yeah, like a like a cross. Oh, I missed the crucifixion. Yeah. I, think I might have mentally blocked that one out. And then there was, of course, uh, this footage going around of, of uh, a Karen um, screaming something like, "I can't wait to see you dangle at the end of a rope, Dan Andrews." And I would just, I always feel obliged to do this. I have some really great friends called Karen with a K. Like yeah. Really good people who are committed social justice activists and work in the community sphere and are selfless individuals. And every time I see the word Karen, that refers to a particular kind of individual, a satirical name that is given to a demographic of the publication. I'm always careful to spell it mentally and publicly with a Q. Yeah. Because that's really who they are. And it means that the good Karens, like the actual people called Karen, yeah. uh, they don't have to, to suffer the comparison. Well, yeah, it's not a comparison I think many people would want. No, not really, no. Because <laughs> it is... 
it's it's pretty out of hand you know theoretically notionally van this demonstration is supposed to be uh you know about the pandemic legislation right which you know is a democratic thing to do is to protest against laws you disagree with don't misunderstand you know what we're talking about here we do that all the time all the time but the reality of this legislation is that it improves and increases the democratic accountability because it takes the declaration of a pandemic out of the hands of a public servant into the hands of a an, an elected official that actually gives you more control people of victoria yeah because it means that only a government that you elect that is elected by the majority can have that kind of power as opposed to an unaccountable bureaucrat and all sorts of reporting requirements back to parliament and it's been pointed out numerous times by victorian mps not just labor mps but also greens animal justice party and others that in fact this legislation is far more transparent far more accountable than what's currently in place in new south wales and new south wales premier dominic Perrottet has actually withdrawn the legislation that would have made their uh laws more aligned with what's being proposed in victoria so this sort of notional idea that these protests are about you know keeping government uh, small or or the pandemic laws doesn't really wash does it van yeah no it's all complete garbage and i think we just have to be honest about what's going on someone i wonder who it could be is literally whipping up an internet mob to frighten and intimidate the Labor government of Victoria. Like, you don't parade nooses down a street and threaten to kill the Premier. And, I I mean, I've seen death threats against the Premier made on my own social media channels, and it is literally terrifying. Someone is behind this, someone with a specific political agenda that's about attacking the Labor government in Victoria. Because, as Ben has said, this is not going on in New South Wales, where their laws are much stricter, where, you know, the the things that the Victorian protesters are supposedly complaining about are worse. And yet Craig Kelly, who, by the way, is from New South Wales, who is the member for Hughes, which is out Engadine Way, which is not far from where I grew up, he's not organising protests in New South Wales against the Liberal government there. What an extraordinary coincidence, Ben. Do you think he's just, he doesn't know? Maybe he didn't get a Facebook post about it and didn't know where to turn up. <laughs> well, it's interesting too, isn't it? Because now you've seen the Liberal uh, shadow, I think he's shadow health minister, David Davis, who wants to take over from Tim Smith in the seat of Q. He's an upper house MP currently. He wants to go to the lower house because he has leadership ambitions. Basically say, you know, there are very fine people on both sides. That's really, like, that's what Marika Hardy tweeted. And I was like, yeah, that's... Where we've gotten to in the Liberal Party, isn't it? And it's just disturbing. I saw as well the Age is reporting that one in five Liberal MPs has either been seen with the the rabble or, you know, saying something supportive of the rabble. Uh, and and we've got to be really clear about this too. Because but they it, are rabble. Yeah. And, and oh. it's not and it's not even it's not even that there are huge numbers of Victorians, you know, this sort of, oh, you know, we are we are the 1% of the 99% or all that kind of nonsense that people kind of try and push out there. 
the vast majority of Victorians, you know, I think we're at 94% or 95%, something like that, have had a, a vaccination. You know, there are, there are literally, you can count them on your fingers and toes, the number of people who have decided not to comply with vaccine mandates and have had to leave their jobs. And let's be honest, like these are, I, I keep saying that, we've got to be honest yeah. about this, but these are the same rabble who didn't want um, mask mandates. Yeah. And these are the same rabble who've been protesting against vaccinations. And these are the same rabble who now are protesting the pandemic laws, you know, and if the Andrews government brought in new laws for a better bicycle seat, they'd be protesting that too because they are feral, whipped up, anti-labor mobsters like that's that's what they are they're a gang yeah and they're participating in intimidation politics based on an american republican party playbook and it's bizarre so in america one of the reasons why these mobs get whipped up is one in a lot of states you can open carry guns and it's genuinely terrifying to see a frothing mob of rabid right-wing lunatics with guns which is you assault know, rifles with yeah. assault rifles which is what we've seen in places like michigan like in that country where voting is voluntary, some people, i.e. people from oppressed and marginalised communities that are typically targeted by these lunatics, like, you know, I maybe won't vote. Maybe I'll stay home. Yeah. Right? And that's part of the political playbook there. Like, it's about voter intimidation. Now, in Australia, by just the grace of extremely good fortune and forward thinking and a genuine commitment to democracy and representation, we have universal enfranchisement, which is otherwise known as compulsory voting so you don't get out of intimidated uh, you don't get sorry you don't get intimidated out of voting here everybody gets the opportunity to vote you can vote from the safety of your own home you can vote by mail you can early vote and the rest of it because universal voting means it's the government's responsibility to make voting as easy as possible so this intimidation stuff doesn't really work it's interesting though too right because one of the bills that the Morrison government has introduced really in its dying days. You know, there's there's a week, two weeks left of parliament this year. There might be a couple of weeks next year and then an election, or there might be four or five weeks and then an election. But either way, there's not a lot of sitting dates left. They've introduced voter ID laws. Like they've, they've, they've introduced what are essentially voter suppression laws that make it harder for marginalised communities, that make it harder for new Australians, for Indigenous Australians, for older Australians who maybe don't drive anymore, like, to actually go and vote. So there's a, you know, there is a sort of sense of this Americanization of our political, uh, our, our body politic, right, where on the one hand you've got the the whipped-up mob, the, the sort of frenzied... Um, you know, Q-manipulated type of people with the gallows. And at the other end, you've got the Morrison people going, well, this is about protecting our democracy. There have been zero instances yeah. of fraud based around voter identification. Like the AEC have said that. Because you would need, like, let's be logical about this. To 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 switch the, the result of an election, to switch the outcome of who's in government, you would need to switch five or six seats. You would need to rig five or six seats. To do that, you would have to commit voter fraud on a scale of 20 to 30,000 votes across Australia. 
And there's just very little chance of getting away with something like that. Yeah, not in the days of the internet where literally <laughs> no one can keep a secret anymore. And we've but got open scrutineering. Open scrutineering. Like, we've got all, all the political parties. Yeah. Like all the ballots are watched at all times. Yeah. We have an independent electoral authority. Like we have checks and balances the Americans can only dream about at night time. Yeah. But the other thing too is I always... Like, it's, by the way, everybody, Ben and I were both student politicians. We know a lot about ballots and how yeah, ballots work. That's right. And we've seen, you know, that. I've seen that, all sorts of attempts to rig ballots in yeah, my time. I, 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 I'm from the era where people used to, like, urinate in ballot boxes to spoil. Yeah. Not me, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was a thing that happened at another university that a friend of mine was responsible for. Um, I say friend, <laughs> not political colleague, for a reason. However, um, fortunately, did not pursue a political career. But the, as former student politicians, there's something that you learn very young, which is if you're trying to rig a ballot, you don't put votes in, you take votes out. Now, this voter suppression law, this voter ID law, ID law, law does it look like putting votes in or taking votes out, Ben? It looks like they're trying to take votes out. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah, because there's way too much coordination required to stuff a ballot as, by the way, the uh, Liberal Club at the University of Wollongong discovered in a University <laughs> Council election that I scrutinied once, filling in all the ballot papers with the same texture, sir, and we both know who you are, is not a very experienced move. But this is the point, right? Like, if you're the sitting government and you've suddenly got this grand, grand concern just before the election about voter ID, I think you're sending one of two messages, possibly both is that either you rigged the last election and don't think you can rig the next one, or you're worried you're not going to be able to win the next election and you want to take out a bunch of votes from people who are going to vote for the other guy. Like, that's really... One of those two messages, possibly both, are what's being told. Now, I don't think Morrison rigged the last election. No. I think there was a lot of... Um, shady, underhanded tactics, and I think in your they book, were campaign tactics. Yeah, they weren't they, ballot tactics. No, exactly. And I think so. I think that's really clear, right? Like they did a lot of political manipulation, and a lot of message manipulation, and a lot of disinformation. Oh, and disinformation. But they didn't do any of you know that kind of ballot stuffing or vote removal or whatever. But I think what they are saying is they don't think they can win unless they remove people from the list. Yeah. And, and the dog is now moving around on the beanbag. It's very cute. <laughs> but this is the thing too. So a, a piece of political wisdom we might have shared on this show before is that elections are won not by big blocks of votes, but the accumulation of thin slices. And I just want everybody to be aware, party strategists sit down and spend all of their time, even when elections are not on, looking at those thin slices of votes that they can win. And the idea that that Morrison is proposing these voter ID laws that target such specific communities of people yeah. is really, it's really interesting and says a lot about the weakness of the Liberal Party and their prospects going forward. And on that front as well, it's really interesting to watch them play footsie with the far right who are engaging these protests in Melbourne. The idea that one in five MPs, and of course Peter Credlin, a yeah. reprehensible human being, an absolute moral stain on our body politic, uh, Peter Credlin. Um, she, can you imagine your claim to fame being associated with the Abbott era? I mean... Being the architect of the Abbott era. Yes, but it's just too appalling for words. So Peter Credlin was there making a big show of 
attending those demonstrations. And, like, these are people who are threatening to kill the democratically elected Premier of Victoria. And it's interesting because I get the boneheads on my Facebook pages going, well, well, you know, I really care about the pandemic laws. Like, that's really interesting because if you did, you'd be running for parliament and participating in any kind of policy process or maybe in New South Wales protest. Yeah, exactly right, yeah. But, the, you know, I had they have these lines that they trot out. It's, oh, ordinary mums and dads. And it's like I don't really put a lot of stock in ordinary mums and dads. Ordinary mums and dads in Germany supported the Third Reich. Like, they're not holy by virtue of having children. They actually have to do something to be holy. But, you know, this whole, oh, well, you know, we're just just out being normal people. And it's like normal people don't threaten to hang the Premier. No. Like, that's not a thing. That's they- a normalisation of violence in our political system. And I can't yeah. think of anything more un-Australian than trying to bring that tenor of violence into the political conversation. Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's very abnormal to hold a mock lynching in the middle of the night on the steps of Parliament in a makeshift camp while you're screaming abuse at the state parliament building. I, I, you know, in my 38 years of life, I can't recall anyone else ever doing that. And therefore it is abnormal. But I've been told by these people who come to pick fights with me, which I've got to say, frankly, is a bit unwise, friends, a bit unwise. Um, I had one of them go, oh, yeah, but, you know, how dare you call us right wing? Like, we're beyond left and right. And it's like, no, sorry, you're actually part of an organised far right. Like, Peter Credlin is not going to a let's be politically neutral fest. Craig Kelly doesn't turn up for any kind of centrist demonstration. And it's not a centrist or progressive position to go, let's hang a few people. Yeah. Like, there's a wonderful... And, you know, other people have gone, oh, well, you know, there were a few nutters there. It's like, genuinely, friends, let's consider... Someone's flying a swastika and threatening to kill people and you're standing next to them. That's that's an association thing. If you've made a judgment call to join a crowd that has Nazis in it, you are actually hanging out with Nazis. And we know there are Nazis there. Yeah. There was a brilliant thread by the White Rose Society or an anti-fascist group in Australia who monitored this stuff. And there were people from um, all kinds of neo-Nazi organisations and Proud Boys. Like, these are far-right groups with far-right ideas. It is a far-right idea, people, to hang the politicians you don't like and democratic electoral results be damned. That's a hard-right Opinion. Yeah. That is a very bad thing. There's a great German saying that I quote all the time, which is if you have 10 people at dinner with one Nazi, you have 11 Nazis. And when it comes to wisdom on that particular insight, I think our friends, the Germans, have rather a lot to offer us in terms of historical example. And similarly, it is not acceptable for for one in five like Liberal National Party members to be seen at that protest. And there's a historical quirk that you and I have discussed a lot because that's what we do for fun in this house, <laughs> it, which is an iron law of centre-right weakness. Now, the Liberals and Nationals are, are centre-right yeah. movements ostensibly. Yeah. You know, they have more right-wing elements and they have more moderate and centrist elements. And the idea of a functioning democracy is that you know, that what the centre wants is fought over because that will determine the majority. Yeah. Okay. And, like, a strong centre-right government or party does not need to play footsie with the far right. Correct. You know, they don't... When they are feeling confident about their prospects, they they focus more on the centre and appealing to people they can win over from the other side. Think Fraser, 
think Menzies. Think Howard, you know, like, I mean, I despise John Howard, but he offered this relaxed and comfortable Australia and yeah. shareholding democracy. I mean, it was all lies, but yeah. he offered it. Yeah. And that was, you know, there will no, be no increase in taxes apart from this massive GST. We put on literally everything. But it was it was offering a, a vision of Australia that swing voters agreed with. Yeah. And that's that's the democratic game. You know, we go with the majority. Democracy, a terrible system, apart from all of the other ones that we tried. Like it's the that's a quote from Churchill. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, well, close, very close to his quote. Yeah. Absolutely. But this is really disturbing because we've seen this footsie with the far right nonsense happen in England, and which yeah. is how they ended up in the Brexit disaster, which has totally screwed their economy. Oh, it's trashed the country. It is has absolutely trashed Britain. They were putting up photographs of food in supermarkets because they had no food because Brexit has destroyed their supply but, chain. But we also saw, and, and I want to use the Austrian example because Austria allowed the Austrian centre-right essentially allowed the far-right to have a much greater say in government because they have much more of a much more of a, a coalition basis there. I hate proportional representation. Yeah, and, and, they, and, they, and they ended up with a really really corrupt, failing government. Like, they've had real problems and they've had real problems trying to sort of get the country back into some sort of shape. Um, and even now with COVID, they're finding um, that they're probably going to be lockdowns again in Austria. So, Van, you know, where we are, where we are in Victoria is this very vocal, actually very, very small group of people. Like, we we were there in Melbourne yesterday and, you know, there was barely a couple of hundred people, right? Like, it, it's not a huge number of yeah, people. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have put it at a couple of hundred. Yeah. Maybe would have, like, maybe put it at a hundred. Yeah. So it's, it's... You know, with bells and whistles and yelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Making a lot of noise. Way, like, smashing cars. Yeah. And chasing journalists, like... Oh, that was appalling. Chasing, I think it was McCallum from Channel, Channel 7. 7. Yeah. <laughs> so, which, Channel 7 journalist. Yeah. That guy, by the way, everybody, is not representing any kind of socialist or communist enterprise. Channel 7... Owned is, by Kerry Stokes. Owned by Kerry Stokes is not a socialist enterprise. No. That is not what Channel 7 is about. It is not baked into the bedrock values of how they cover protests. So it's pretty... It's pretty outrageous, and, and of course, I chased him down the street. It's it. Well, I just these are not people interested in democracy. No, right? they hate democracy. And and you and I have been to lots of lots of demonstrations and protests and marches in our lives. And you know, journalists have been there. We've talked to journalists at, at protests. You know, we've done it from the stage. We've done it from the street. We've engaged with people. You know, I can't recall ever being at a protest where journalists. Um, even ones from organisations we may not like have been chased down the street by the majority of the people at the at the rally or the protest. Oh, absolutely not. Like, it is really chilling. But as you can read about in my book, like, what happens to those, those protesters are in a sealed information environment where all they consume is propaganda and part of the attack on the media that gets encouraged in these people is to make sure that no alternative viewpoints or critical viewpoints get in and they just become immersed in this parallel reality that's made up of nonsense, you know? Daniel Andrews is a dictator. He's not. He's the democratically elected Premier of Victoria who has been democratically elected in a fair voting system twice he enjoys majoritarian support and let's be honest about this as well in the in the upper house he doesn't have a majority this bill will pass because 
the minor parties have read the bill, read the legislation, looked at the arguments, um, seen the diverse range of legal opinion, because there is a diverse range of legal opinion on this, let's be frank, um, and gone, yes, this is this is a better approach than the approach we've had so far. Or the approach in New South Wales. Or the approach in New South Wales, and we are prepared to support the government's approach. That's that's like the that's how democracy works. Like I've been involved in those processes where the upper house at a federal level, you know, with the Senate, we've gone to minor parties, we've gone to independents, and we've said the government wants to do this. Our argument for why they shouldn't be allowed to do it is this, and you end up having these conversations and these debates, and sometimes they involve protest. Yes, sometimes they do, but at the end of the day. Those people in the upper house, whether it's the Senate or, or Legislative Council, as it's called in Victoria, um, make a decision about whether they're going to support what the government's doing, whether they're going to amend it, or whether they're going to vote against it. And in Victoria, they're going to support it. That's not because Dan Andrews is a dictator. These people are under no obligation to support anything he's doing. And in fact, for some of them, there may well be a political cost because they're from quite small parties themselves. Mm. It's quite difficult for some of these people to get re-elected if they're targeted by some of these very vocal, outspoken groups, even if they're small groups themselves. So this idea that he's somehow or another imposing this on the people of Victoria... is a lie. It's an outright lie. It is an outright lie. Oh, I was just so disgusted. So obviously I flew in yesterday from Sydney um, and was... Zin a cab, and I just want to reach out to my taxi driver for thanking me. I would like to thank him personally for not letting me stop the cab and get out because we went past Spring Street. Yeah. And I was just so enraged because I could see the Gadsden flags. The Gadsden flag is that yellow flag that has a snake on it that says, don't tread on me. And it's from the American Civil War. No, and there, no the Revolutionary sorry, War. Sorry, the Revolutionary War. And there were Trump flags... And I was just like, if you think America's so great, go and live there. Like, if you want to bring this American-style engagement into Australia, like, as a tiny minority of people, I personally will sponsor your visa to live in the United States. And you can have the full American experience of paying for health care and not being able to access welfare and living in communities where the roads are falling apart because in the neoliberal wonderland of, you know, Republican-led America, they don't spend money on infrastructure. You know, this is what Biden is desperately trying to fix there. And it just made me so angry, and especially in Melbourne, and this is what just enrages me. People came to the city of Melbourne after the Second World War as refugees from fascism, right? The Greek community, the Italian community, the the communities from the former Yugoslavia. Um, and obviously, did you know Melbourne has one of the highest proportions of families who survived the Holocaust yeah. of anywhere in the world? Yeah. And that memory of, of just murderous genocidal fascism and what these scumbags are capable of if they're let anywhere near the levers of power, that is a raw and potent memory for vast swathes of the community. And to see those dynamics of force, intimidation, violence, the normalisation of violence and political discourse, threats to hang the Premier, this absolute poisonous hatred that they're bringing in, and under flags associated with political movements 
in other countries, i.e. America, it is disgusting. It is the most un-Melbourneian, un-Victorian, un-Australian thing I can possibly think of. And I said this yesterday, if they want to come after my Premier, they can come through me first. There you go. I think think we've covered off the situation in Victoria. Look, you know, talking about different visions of Australia, we are going to have a federal election in 2022. The final date for having it in 2021 has passed. It's now no longer practical for Scott Morrison to call an election in 2021. So really now there's only a couple of weekends available in March or May of 2022. We know it'll be one of those. And you can see Morrison since since his terrible overseas adventure. I mean, every time he goes overseas, it, it's like, it's like Uncle. Put on the cringe suit, Ben. Oh. We're going to have some cringe ahead of us. It's like, it's like Mr. Bean, but like, oh. but, but speaking, Mr. you yeah, know. Mr. Green was a right-wing accountant. Yeah. 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 It's, it's awful. And so obviously he came back and, you know, there was all this fanfare about how he was going to hit the ground campaigning and, he came to Victoria and he went to a bunch of Liberal seats and anyway. Barbecues. There was a lot of road testing though. There's a lot of road testing going on at the moment about election frames and and what the election is going to be about. You know, at one point it was going to be about trust. I don't know if people remember that. A month ago it was talking about who do you trust? Well, then Uncle Arthur went overseas <laughs> and... <laughs> He, he when he came That's back this French adventure yeah when he came back he wasn't doing that anymore uh, and then I can't remember what it was in the first week he was we're back we're going to soft climate wasn't it we're going to soft climate oh I don't know the Australian can way can do capitalism and, oh can do capitalism that was the thing it's so can do and like, then look at what we can do to destroy the environment we uh, are capitalism but now now it's now it's shifted you know back to the future I mean the guy's got no new ideas right? all of these ideas are old ideas already but now it seems that he's gone back to the the 2004 playbook uh, and John Howard's uh, interest rates, petrol prices and cost of living. Who do you trust on these things? <laughs> it's but like, mate. Not you. Petrol prices have gone up under you. <laughs> interest rates you don't control. Uh, and the Reserve Bank has probably been more a part of people's understanding of the economy in the last two years than at any time since you know we floated interest rates. Uh, and the cost of living... Well, cost of living is going up and wages have been going backwards under the Liberals for the last eight years. This is not, you know, Howard's relaxed and comfortable 2003 era um, Australia. This is post-pandemic, 2.2 million Australians need more work, wages have been going backwards, petrol prices. I saw somebody sent me a, a picture on Twitter saying unleaded was a dollar eighty nine. You know, a dollar eighty nine point nine. That's hugely expensive. I I, rem- I remember when petrol was like you know eighty nine cents, seventy nine cents, fifty nine cents a litre. Do you know what would really solve the petrol prices issue? Electric well, cars. Electric cars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> great irony. But they're going to destroy the weekend, so we can't have them. Or maybe we can. Like he blatantly lied. He lied. He just keeps lying. He comes back from lying to Emmanuel Macron, who is the kind of guy you get a very strong feeling doesn't forget a lie. No. You just get the feeling that Emmanuel Macron does not forget a slight. <laughs> you know, just I just I just really got that sense. Like tells the world media that Scott Morrison is a liar, 
And then Morrison is exposed lying to Joe Biden, which the Americans don't like either. No. And and then he comes back and says, oh, yeah, I never said negative things about electric vehicles. Like, we talked about this last week. And check the tape, mate. Like- the, yeah, yeah, we've got the tapes, dude. <laughs> VAR. Like, you know. It's just unbelievable, yeah, VAR. And yet, and now he's going to run on petrol prices. And it's like, we could have had an electric vehicle industry, in which place the... The dictatorship of petrol prices would we would be liberated from that. Like I just I'm just all of it. I'm just done. Are you done? I'm a bit done. Totally done with this. I will say this: the the thing that has given me some hope about this is that there does seem to be more and more people in the media and in the public more broadly who are done right because it's easy to say he's a liar and we all think he's a liar, um, you know, and he is clearly lying. Uh, anybody who has paid any attention to the work that unions have been doing over the last two years, four years, five years, seven years, knows that wages have been going backwards, knows that we have more job insecurity than ever before, knows that more Australians are working multiple jobs than ever before, and yet there are still more people who can't get the hours they need just to pay the bills than ever before, right? And, you know, I wrote about this in The Guardian this week. I did a piece about how... There are 200,000 Australians who want more work but can't get it because they've got caring commitments. And the government is doing absolutely nothing to support those caring commitments. There is no childcare vision. There is no aged care vision. There is no disability services vision. That's not happening from this government and it's not going to happen from this government. And yet at the same time, we've got the agricultural sector wants 22,000 more workers and the hospitality sector wants 100,000. Let's do some maths. That means there are jobs for all of the people who want them, but there are no services or accommodations being led by a government that has the capacity to deliver those things. They do. They have the capacity to deliver those things to create jobs for Australians. What are they doing instead, Ben? Well, they're going to they're going to uncap seasonal worker visas. They're going to bring in more temporary migrant workers who we know are more susceptible to exploitation, and and this is this is the thing that I just keep coming back to, when when unions are strong in our society, they're able to resist that kind of policy position. They're able to lift wages. Unionized workers earn more money. Unionized workers have more secure work. Unionized workers have more say in their rosters. Like all these things are true and all these things are real. And that's partly why Morrison is so opposed to unions because his vision is, his vision is uh, not even even a market economy for labor, but a a totally boss controlled market. It's a SPIV economy. It is a SPIV economy. That's what he wants. He wants the kind of SPIV who, you know, he hangs out with, it's beef barbecue. Crony capitalism, somebody called it the other day. Yeah, crony capitalism, but it's but it's more a spiv economy because it's not just about your mates. It's about a certain kind of person who wants an advantage they don't really have to work for. Yeah. You know, like they the people who want to make money out of businesses without bringing their workers along with them, without sharing the benefits of that, where it's just about how much can I squeeze my workforce for, not not by encouraging greater productivity, but by getting favourable legislative conditions from a government that lets me, for example, exploit temporary migrant workers, because that's easier than doing the work. Well, I want to, I want to point to this example, because there's an example going on right now with Country Road, which I think is really, when you say spiv economy, it just made me think of the Country Road dispute 
where you've got workers in the country road warehouses who are paid, who are predominantly women, who are paid less than workers in doing similar work up the road, but are, are men, uh, who are asking for a 90 cent an hour pay increase, country roads refusing that, and then country roads at fashion festivals sitting on ethical fashion panels. And, and at the same time, country road is dumping manure on the grass so this that people so, can't protest. So this is disgusting. So the workers at Country Road have unionised and are like, yeah, no, this is not on. Yeah. And they, it, it is very difficult to get... There are lots of legal obstructions, thank you, Liberals, to um, having union protests in Australia. You've got to jump yeah. through a bunch of hoops. And they had a time and a place and a date that they were going to protest outside Country Road. And Country Road literally dumped manure on the smelly, smelly manure on the place where the workers were going to meet. And and the, the same, inside the same week, they're sitting on a panel talking about ethical fashion mm. and ethics in fashion. Like, that sort of spoof economy. It doesn't matter if it's organic manure country. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, I just keep coming back to that idea. You know, being in your union is so important at this juncture. Like, it's such a critical time to be getting reliable information, to be part of the collective that protects your job security, that protects your wages, that says, we want more than a spear of economy in Australia. So go to australianunions.org.au backslash wow. Uh, we got some more fan mail this week from people, not fan mail for us, but fan mail for the union. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Us. Um Somebody was saying, so a, a guy on Twitter who's in the arts and who's, you know, trying yeah. to hustle for arts jobs, he joined the union that represents the part-time job he's doing between all of his, you know, artistic yeah. endeavours. And there are a lot of people, and because I'm in the arts, like I understand what it's like, you're hustling between gigs, you don't really know how long you'll be in hospital or how long you'll be in retail or yeah. how long you'll be stacking shelves or doing anything else. Join your union anyway. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because you don't know. Like, you could be there for six minutes or six years and you want the protection of being in a union. Just because you don't think you're going to be in the job for very long doesn't mean you don't deserve the same protections as anybody else. And if you're not going to be there very long... Also, there are other people who will be there longer and be part of something. There was, like fight for those jobs to exist with better paying conditions than the ones that you found. There was a great story about uh, an Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union delegate who had been a long-time, long-time employee, um, decades, and he got unfairly sacked and he'd been reinstated after, I think it was almost two years of fighting his unfair dismissal. He got reinstated. And he said... Uh, the un- <laughs> I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but basically what he said was um, when you're in the union, you're there to support other people and sometimes those people are going to support you. Sometimes you're giving, sometimes you're taking, but you're always part of it. Like it's such a good way of thinking about it. And I just think we're going into an election with a prime minister who's road testing what may or may not be popular with an economy where there are profitable corporations still trying to take wages off people, still kind of going, 
There are shortages. There are shortages. There are shortages. But we're not going to increase wages. We're not going to improve conditions. No. We're not going to give people job security. We're going to find some people from other countries to exploit and not give them any citizenship rights. Actually, create a different citizenship class of worker so they can't vote us out of government. Like, it's just horrendous. It's just a horrendous sort of situation. But it's not one where we're powerless, right? Because those country road workers are standing together. You know, that protest, they couldn't they couldn't have their official sanctioned industrial action. So what did they do? They organized a community protest with workers and workers from across the union movement outside the Fashion Week uh, festival. Uh, panel where they were talking about ethical fashion and I just think that's the kind of creativity we're going to need in this country if we're going to get wages moving and we're actually going to get some powerful workers so congratulations to the United Workers Union who represents those workers solidarity everyone and to every worker who was involved so look Van the election the election is coming you can tell the government's trying to clear the decks. It's got the voter ID laws. It's trying to put in. It's trying to do uh, the religious discrimination stuff. We'll talk about that a little bit, I think, probably next week. Frankly, it's just a total malarkey. Um, they've been talking about this thing since before the last election. Uh, it's red meat for their base. And it's always you can always tell when the Tories are nervous about whether or not they're going to win because they try, and, the rules. They, yeah, they try and suppress the vote. And they start to have a lot of pressure applied on issues where there is not a majority support, like things like the Religious Discrimination Act, where, frankly, the vast majority of Australians, if you said to them, should your boss be able to sack you because you're gay and they have a religious view against that, people go, no, that's ridiculous, right? But... You start to get all of the ticket clippers and all of the niche ideologues come out and demand legislation gets passed in the last few weeks when uh, when they're worried that their boy Scotty's gonna gonna lose the next one. We saw it last time, and that's but you know yeah. I'm just waiting for the inevitable national security crisis because that's another Tory star award. Oh yeah. Oh, like who do you? Who do you well, we've heard the China rhetoric, oh, China. right? Yeah, there will be a bit of saber rattling in Indonesia, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, who else is around? <laughs> who else? Just the Russians. Uh, I'm sure the Russians will do something. Yeah, I mean the Russians are always doing something, but you know it's like militant New Zealanders, like That's buying right. our continental landmass. It'll it'll come. There's always a national security. Maybe they'll have like a terrible, uh, you know, data leak or something unspecified nefarious foreign actors. Well, Stuart Robert, remember, he has already got form on lying about leaks. Yeah. <laughs> he, might, he might just make one up again. Yes, yeah. just make it we up. Yeah. We were hacked. And uh, then, no, we were hacked. And no, then we charge the bill for your obscene $35,000 internet usage. Who is well, brother? somebody was talking about his. Uh, I, I don't. I don't want to get to be too rambly here today. I know we're both tired, but you know, I think we're going to have to have a look at some point at some of these trusts. You know, because we've talked a little bit about this before, uh, and it came up. It's come up on Twitter that Stuart Robert has one of these trusts. One of these blind anonymous trusts. Yeah, and there's some, just put money. And into there's some question marks. Some question marks about that. So we're going to look more into that. And I think we're going to come back to that in a future episode. I think that's a good idea. I think people are into that. I yeah. don't think Australians like dark money. I no. think Australians like transparency. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I just find it, it's so amazing. So there was a um, newspaper headline in Victoria saying Liberals back protests. 
like, around these dudes in the street. And I read that had headline as Liberals Abandoned Centre. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, look, that's where we, that's where we are. Another interesting thing that's come out today, I think, is worth talking about, is that the the word stroll out. I love this. The word stroll out has become the Australian word of the year. I'm so into this. And of course, stroll out, as we all know, is a phrase coined by our good friend, supporter of this show, Sally McManus, secretary of the ACTU, leader of the Australian Trade Union Movement, in in her Twitter feed when she was describing Morrison's... The pace of the vaccine rollout being more like a stroll out. And, of course, everybody picked up on it. It became... Because it was true. Yeah, it is true. What do they say? It's funny because it's true? Yeah, it's funny because it's true. It's also sad because it's true in this case. Yeah, and, like, because we blew our window, thanks to the incompetence of Scott Morrison and his government, we blew our window to remain COVID-free. We didn't get the wall up to defend ourselves from Delta in time, and people have become sick and died because of that. Yeah, and, and that's the reality of what stroll out led to. Remember at the start of the pandemic, he talked a lot about lives and livelihoods. It's like the stroll out has cost lives and livelihoods. Absolutely. People have died. Businesses have closed. Jobs have been destroyed. Like there's a great deal of damage, real damage done because of the stroll out. And, you know, we, we, we sort of think about the fact that this word was created, you know, and, and Sally's on Twitter talking about how Liam O'Brien, the Assistant Secretary of the ACTU... He's a wonderful person, everybody. Yeah, a really good guy. Talked about talked about this in a meeting. They were talking about, you know, how they were going to talk about the, uh, the vaccine stroll out. Um, and he came up with this. And, of course, you know, it just captured the zeitgeist. Like... We were all sitting here going, we can we can see what's happening. We we can get BBC online. We can we, we can get you know CNN. Even Fox News is telling us that there's maybe a problem with some people dying in America. Like we know that we need the vaccine, and and you know it wasn't a race, it wasn't a competition. That's a Morrison <laughs> quote. It's not a race. It's not a competition. It was a race. It was a competition. We had we are we are a nation of islands. We had an opportunity as the Hermit Kingdom. I don't understand why we were the Hermit Kingdom for so long if we weren't going to be so Hermit and not so Kingdom. <laughs> it was you know what I mean? Weird. Like, yeah, just it. poor leadership and disorganised and just just clumsy and bad and they don't have the talent to run a government. They don't have it. Stuart Robert is a cabinet minister. Are you joking? Like you and Still. I have, you and I have notepads that would be more effective cabinet minister. <laughs> I've used cups that would have more advanced policy positions. You get more consistency from, you know, like a tapioca pudding when it comes to like public health or climate action or anything else from this government. They're just hopeless. They're hopeless. Then and they're not only hopeless, but they're hanging out with a bunch of street fascists. It's really scary stuff. But it's also just really sad. Like, after eight years, what's the Morrison government going to point to? You know, it's going to point... The towering achievements. Yeah. Like, it's really... You know, for them to think that after eight years in government, they're going to run on 
you know, petrol prices and interest rates, neither of which they control, like they just don't control them. It's not like there's an Australian government petroleum refinery corporation where they're just going to pump out more fuel and make the price cheaper. Hey, Ben, tell everybody where the strategic oil reserves are. Yeah, thanks very much, Angus Taylor, for shipping them over to the US. they're, They're held in another country on the other side of the world's largest ocean. If you need to tap into your strategic oil reserve, it's because you are at war. That's what they're for. And if you, if we are at war and having to import all of our oil from America, which, by the way, is not keeping barrel mountains of barrels there. It's like a promise note to provide it, right? So if we're having to ship that across, it defeats the purpose of having it. The purpose of having it is so that you don't have to ship it in because you have to ship it in. Someone can sink the ships. Anyone who's watched any World War II documentary on National Geographic, turn on National Geographic now. You'll probably see one. Is full of submarines blowing up oil tankers. That's the first thing people do. Like, it's such a basic thing. It's been, like, it's so enraging because it's so stupid. But we're going to control petrol prices. You Seriously, we wouldn't have enough oil to run the terrible submarines we've still got from 1987, you morons, let alone run a war. Oh, like honestly, we'd be we'd be on fuel rations in seven seconds. You get a thimble a day. You wouldn't be able to run a bloody lawnmower. And we won't have electric vehicles. And we won't have electric vehicles either. Because they would have ruined the weekend. I mean, we all like cars with a bit of grunt. Like it's Big just. Grunt. That's what he said. Australians like their cars with a bit of grunt, so we're not going to build the cars. There are the literally electric-powered supercars now. Like it is, they are so incompetent and so shallow that they're just unable to effectively govern and after eight years to to rerun uh, 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 to rerun an election campaign from 17 years ago you know the people who were born in 2004 I don't think are even able to vote yet right mm. like it becomes it becomes tragic like it becomes a kind of tragic comedy. And you can see, like, poll after poll after poll shows these people are no good. And the very fact that stroll out is the word of the year in a pandemic year. It's not pan. It's not pandemic. It's not work from home. It's, lockdown. It's not lockdown. lockdown. It's not Zoom meeting. Street fascist or spiff economy. Although, Oxford Dictionary, if you're listening. 2022. Really 2022. Yeah, I'm campaigning. <laughs> it's, it's, but of course, I'd have to take the ballot. Or down. even vaccine. I mean, it could have been vaccine, right? Or vaxxed. Or vaxxed. Double-vaxxed. Yeah, it could have been. All of these nuts stroll out because that's how bad they are. I'm just, like, I just want this country to get moving. I just want it to, I just want it to start. Like, we know that we're at the precipice of this massive change in industrial economies because that change is being discussed in Glasgow. It has to happen. Yeah. It has to happen because of environmental damage and increased risk of disaster and all of those things. And other countries... Our allies, and sometimes not our allies, they're preparing for that. And we need to get moving. There are jobs to be created. There are communities to be rebuilt. There are all of these amazing things that we can do and we can direct and we can be part of. And we can be part of the political generation that was like, you know, when people talk about when they built the Snowy River scheme. Yeah. Like, 
I'm looking forward to, oh, you know, we were around when they brought in the electric, electric vehicle superhighways yeah. and when they phased out petrol cars, it was amazing. And when they built the solar plants and when they revegetated. When every home got a battery. Yeah, yeah where all the verges were turned into, um, what do they call them, swalls, which are those like mini foresty swamps yeah. that they're, they're regenerating all urban land, like in yeah. parts of, of Britain and Europe. And like all these, these swales, that's what they're called, swales. Yeah. Like it's... It, it, I just want us to get going. I mean, like, people I had some job security and could participate in social life again. It's like, like it's like waiting for an indefinitely delayed year twelve formal. <laughs> like I've got the dress, I've got the date, the music's going to be great. It's going to be fun venue. Going to have some laughs. Going to have some good times. And then all of a sudden you're twenty six, going I don't understand why I haven't had the formal yet. Like that's sort of how it that's feels. A, I I well yeah. There's I mean I'm not, I'm not sure I relate to the the dress analogy so much but it certainly does feel like we're waiting oh and and unnaturally waiting yeah unnaturally unnaturally waiting waiting to get going and 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 it's sort of like i think we all expected i think we all hoped the election would be in 2021 and everybody every every analyst was like oh it's only going to be he's only going to call it when it suits and it's only going to be called when it's advantageous Mm -hmm. to him and i think a lot of analysts are now at the point where we're going well, it's never going to be advantageous to him. Like, he should just get it over and done with. Um, but, of course, you know, in his position, you've got, to, you've got to hope for a miracle. Amputate the limb! Well, yeah, but he's got to hope for a miracle, right? Like, he's, he's, he's well, got that's to... that's his whole election strategy, is praying to God. But you can see why. Like, every week he's road testing a new line. Every week, like, you know, can't trust elbow on China or some nonsense. He's done that. You know, and, and that that idea, that, that he's campaigning... And he's campaigning in an unofficial election, which is sort of what some people are talking about. Yeah, the phony war. The yeah, phony, phony war. war. But it's like he's getting a haircut and he's... Cooking a curry. Cooking a curry. And he's mm. handing out sausages at a barbecue. It's like, that's not campaigning. That is not political campaigning. What he is doing is having a weekend every day of the week on our dime. We're paying him to live a weekend for months and yeah. months. Yeah. It's like most Australians do not get paid $1,500 a day to get a haircut, visit their friend who owns a dumpling house, cook a curry, you know, hand out sausages. People have to and volunteer their time. The brother-in-law you don't like? Yeah. It's Another one just... who's really overbearing at barbecues. You know, hasn't really got as much money or power as he pretends to have. He just fits into so many stereotypes of the kind of people who drive everybody, everybody nuts. And, yeah, I, I just, it's just hard. Like, I just want us to get going. Well, I love this country. I want us to, I want Australia to be in the future. I want to live in the future Australia where we've got all of these jobs and projects and meaning and let's protect our communities from fire and let's protect our communities from flood and let's rebuild this forest and let's create tourism even even on those things stroll out applies right because the there's been no rollout of disaster funding money there has been no rollout of uh, electric vehicle policy. They Don't ha- we just give all the money to Bridget McKenzie and she gives it to her friends? Isn't that how well, I, I think resource allocation works I, in this I, country? I think he's got to tell her six weeks before the election so she can hand it out in the week before the election is called. Otherwise, it's Those a crime. big novelty checks. It's just so ridiculous. Uh, it is. It's really so, frustrating. So stroll out really is not just, I think, not just the word of the year, but probably... the tenor of the 
times. It's the tenor of the times. It's the definition of the Morrison government. <laughs> it's a stroll out. Oh. It's... Now let's let's have some good news, yeah, Van. Good news. Let's have some good news because solar powered caravans. Solar powered caravans. This is what I mean. I want to live in the future. I want to live in the future. Twenty-two students from the University of Eindhoven in the Netherlands have built a completely solar-powered caravan and it accommodates two people. It is a mobile home for two people that is powered entirely by the sun. It gets up to 75 miles an hour. Fantastic. Which is amazing. Like, was that like 100 k's an hour? That's really fast. Yeah. It's like fast. We didn't we didn't do the research on the mile to k no, conversion. No, I mean, we can find out. Someone if can only, tell us. If yeah. only we had portable supercomputers uh, in our pockets all the time. It, the 75 miles an hour is fast. But also Take it, it gets it. 450 miles in a day. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. It's amazing. And that's for two people. Yeah. It's got a shower. It's got a toilet. It's got a coffee maker. It's got a double bed. It's got a pop We don't top. have a coffee maker. Yeah. No, we, we don't have a coffee yeah. maker. But we support sm- local small yeah, businesses yeah, yeah. and we buy yeah. coffees there. But yeah, so it's got a pop top. It's got like, I think it's like 24 square meters of solar panels on the roof. Awesome. It's got a curved design. It's aerodynamic. It's all of those things built by university students. It is- Self-powered. Self-powered. Self-powered car. And they're like, well, yeah, we've got the sun, the sun is free, but it's like, it's a home and a car and it gets up to 75 miles an hour and goes 450 miles, like, by charge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, it's phenomenal. And, and you got to think, they're, they're doing this in the Netherlands. Yeah, in Holland, the Netherlands. Which is, like, you know, cold. It's, yeah. They, they, don't, they don't get the kind of sun we get here, right? I believe the term is Northern European. Northern European. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's yeah. a Northern European country. Such opportunities. If only we had a government that wasn't so committed to strolling out everything. Yeah, everything strolled out. <laughs> strolling out in the face of impending disaster requiring rapid action. Scott Morrison's having a bit of a stroll. But the good news is there are lots of people around the world who... Who do this amazing stuff all yeah. the time. Kinetic trams. Have I told you about kinetic trams? Tell us again about kinetic trams. Oh, man. Kinetic trams are incredible. So in South Korea, they've been building a tram that powers itself through like kinetic um, kinetic energy is the energy of movement yes everybody in year 10 physics class and so they've built these trams that generate electricity while they're moving on the tracks and it's like a relationship between the battery the movement of the tram and like it's just all this stuff is happening all the time obviously solar boats I talk about solar boats yeah, yeah, all the time. yeah. one of the like leading world engineers looking at um, solar boating technology is based in Australia. The government's not building solar boats. We're not retrofitting fleets or anything like that. We're not doing anything like that. But constantly there are these incredible innovations in Belgium where they're putting solar panels over train tracks, which is a brilliant idea because other train tracks can, t- like, eat up lots of land yeah. space. So you power your train system by putting solar panels over the top of them. But these things are happening every day. And in Australia, where we're supposed to have technology-led solutions, this is, I mean, the other thing is that can-do capitalism will just come up with all this technology, and we've got decreasing science and research budgets and massive attacks on universities. And the report the report around our, our climate action uh, and our commitment to achieving Paris said that we had no support for emerging technologies. No. And not only that, but the Guardian uh, broke the story that it's possible that the government are lying, imagine the government are lying, about levels of land clearing and that the figures that we did take to Glasgow were untrue because, in fact, 
we're clearing the vegetation and forestation that we need to meet the figures that we presented that said we were doing our bit. And it just, like, it does my head in. And the worst part is spending time in Scott Morrison's electorate because I'm up in Sydney all the time where there are, like, there's a mangrove re, like, yeah. vegetation development around there. Mangroves are the single best um, carbon harvester in the world So because they... They suck up carbon and they literally, sh- like, these are trees that shove carbon underground into mud. And around the world, the effects of climate change are actually encouraging um, mangroves to sprout and extend yeah. their territory. Like, the world is desperately trying to heal itself from art. Are we looking at mass revegetation and mangroves, the things that are in his own electorate that he could see for himself? Nah. Nah. Not, not, not Scotty. Well, look, there is good news there, though, because there is lots of people doing that work. There is good news because there's, you know, the, the word of the year is a word that has been come up with by the union movement to describe the Morrison government. There are workers taking action to lift wages and get more job security. And we'll post you links about how you can show solidarity with the country road workers Absolutely, as well. absolutely. So there's I lots... think it is good news. I mean, people... The people are thinking into the future. Yeah, even even if the current government isn't. And the other piece of good news is I'd say, you know, look, outside, you know, that we, we, we've got a good chance of having a different government in seven months' time. Seven oh. months seems like a long time. But, Gives me you know, the strength to get up in the morning. <laughs> that's right. And just, like, just looking at that that future vision of making things and doing things. And I'm excited about the stuff Labor have committed to, like local procurement. Yeah, absolutely. And supporting local business and encouraging local jobs and getting local supplies, like, and taking climate seriously. Like, these are preconditions. Giving people some job security. Giving patient Like, these are simple, basic preconditions for a better economy and a better planet. Like, I'm in. Amen. Amen. All right, well, that is... A wrap for the week on Wednesday. You'd love that word. This week. I do use the word wrap a lot now. You love the word wrap. I never used wrap until Ben releases the ago. week on wrap. The weekend. The, the, the weekend wrap. Blah, 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 blah. The weekend wrap, yeah. The weekend wrap every Sunday. He does like a 15 to 20 minute summary of the news you might have missed in the post-Wednesday period. So you can be ready to face a Monday knowing that you are fully informed. So check that out. It's on. It's out Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. And, uh, of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you can pick up Van's new book, QAnon and On. A short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults. Uh, there are links online. You can go to any good independent book retailer. Uh, probably any bad one, too. I don't know. There's probably bad ones out there. Um, <laughs> Sorry, when I say that, I mean chains. Uh, But you can pick up the book just about anywhere. And, uh, of course, don't forget to like, share. You know, it's it's you who drives the audience. It's you who actually spreads the message. And if you want to have a discussion with Ben about strategic oil reserve policy on Twitter, he would love that. I don't know if you noticed... It's really engaged. So dumb. I'm it's so, so dumb. into you. I'm so into you. My whole life, I was like, if only one day I'll find a partner who truly engages with level of emotional commitment, the strategic oil reserve policy. Today. I just feel like somebody should have sent Angus Taylor a Google search, a image search for oil tankers exploding after torpedo hit and he just like you know no no Ben because he just would have paid a lot of money to commission a report from McKinsey (laughs) McKinsey the uh, consultants who he used to work for oh anyway that's a wrap (laughs) 
<laughs> love you, Vanny. I love you too. Bye. I'm talking my own. Bye.